Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the About Tree View podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere, Apple iTunes, Google Play, and you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com, which is where you can go for full links to the show notes and guests. If you want to support the show, there's a direct PayPal link in every episode, as well as an Amazon wish list. Uh, shout out to a couple of my listeners who sent things recently. Uh, I just got those in the mail the other day. Thank you so much for doing that. It really helps out the studio. So if you want to help out the studio, that is available as well. For social media, it is at About Treeview on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.com slash About Treeview and AboutTreeView.com. On this week's episode... There are going to be three movie reviews. One is for Cats, which, <laughs> yeah, is interesting. One is for Uncut Gems, which actually comes out next week. But since next week is a holiday, did not really want to bombard people with an episode dropping on their holiday week. And then finally, there will be a review for a little movie called Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. And joining me. On this week's episode is an actor, director, multiple award-winning filmmaker, <laughs> podcaster, multiple podcaster uh, as well, Mr. Oh, and comedian, Silas Lindenstein and realtor. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Silas. Thank you. I'm a full house of, uh, of, uh, of occupations. Pretty much. Are you just saying full house because there's a poker table in the studio? A little bit. It made me think of that. Yeah. yeah fair enough. No reference to the uh, Bob Saget. Uh, show oh yeah true uh yeah except when you were when you first started acting maybe you could have had a role on that show maybe <laughs> as, as one of the I'm trying to think of my age no neighbor. i couldn't have I'm too dark oh fair yeah were there any dark people on full house i think they had a neighbor oh, of course neighbor they did once of course <laughs> in san francisco yeah 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 <laughs> right you know very diverse neighborhood <laughs> pretty much uh so before we get into the reviews and the getting to know you Silas Lindenstein edition. We will go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. As I mentioned, uh, Silas currently is wearing no hats, but frequently wears like 10 different hats. As I mentioned, actor, director, filmmaker, podcaster, real estate agent, comedian, all of these things. Uh, currently, you have two podcasts, the Black and a Half podcast with Manny Martin, mostly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on most every episode. It's, a, it's now, it's becoming a, uh, a sort of a, a crew. I yeah. Guess. I, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, and then also Silas Gets Real, which is your real estate podcast, uh, which is, you get, you're up to what, episode like 12? Uh, episode 15 dropped 15. today of uh, You're Buying a Home. 
You're buying a home with Silas Lindenstein. Oh, yeah. right, right. Silas gets real. Silas gets real is like my brand right now. That's gotcha. I, it started off in real estate because Silas gets real. Mm-hmm. Estate. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I've also thought like Silas gets real about other things. So now I've started using it for comedy. Uh, my co- I have a comedy show running in in Shoreline, Washington, mm-hmm. monthly, um, and it's brought to you by Silas Gets Real. So got to get that name out there. I think absolutely. For it's a uh, I like to think of myself now as a media company. I like it. That happens to sell real estate. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's like, all about finding the things that uh, can make your passion projects successful and yeah. and happen. Yes. So yeah, and I have been a guest. I have talked about Black and a Half uh, before on the About to Review podcast. I have been a guest on there. It was it was really awesome. You guys covered definitely a wide range of of topics. Everything from like. The local comedy scene, yeah, to the occasional movie review, to social justice issues. Sometimes, I think you know, it's just a, it is sort of a conversation of friends, mm-hmm. um, and w- what's on our mind. I, try, I was trying to think. I wonder if there's anything we don't cover. Um, but I mean, I think we we com- in comedy, you tend to talk about what's going on in your life, mm-hmm. and so I think that's why, essentially, it's a comedy podcast, even if we get serious. You know, because there's humor in the serious. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a pop. I guess it could be like considered a pop culture current events pop podcast, but from the eyes of two black nerds. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Or sometimes three if Samantha is that. Yeah, Samantha, Samantha run. She's not as nerdy. She's mm. she, she's not as quite as nerdy. She's like a nerdy. Intel, she's like a theater nerd. Oh, you know? OK. Yeah. She was a, she's got an MFA in um, acting and everything. So. Um, she's smart in different ways, not the mainstream, you know, Batman, gotcha. Batman kind of so thing. So she is not going to know that Kashyyyk was a planet and a language? Of probably the, not. Of the Wookiees? No, probably not. Oh, I'm okay. guessing she wouldn't know that. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and that definitely was one of the reasons that I wanted to have Silas on this particular episode is because of all my friends, Silas is pretty much, I think, the biggest Star Wars nerd I know. Uh next to actually no you definitely are are geekier about star wars than i am when it comes to just a sheer knowledge base so yeah and and just passion for star yeah. wars oh yeah <laughs> it, it's the biggest passion pretty much i can ex- i'll explain later too why i think it's the biggest passion of all okay i'm gonna say i'm gonna save it okay when, yes when, when we have words but speaking of your other passions, like I mentioned, you are a multiple award-winning yes. filmmaker. I am. So when you first got into filmmaking, or rather, what was the thing that you saw or that you were a part of that made you want to make films and not just kind of be on the acting side of things? Look, I've, to be honest, I am 45 now, mm-hmm. right? I've wanted to make movies since I was 18. And I hmm. didn't start until two years ago. Fantastic. You know, I I, I, I found the, live theater and I fell in love with that. It was on my way, on my planned way to film school. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered theater and then started doing that and focused on that. And, and the last few years have been me sort of coming back to what I wanted originally. Because I've always loved movies. I've, mm-hmm. loved, I've loved movies so much. Um, what is your first movie memory? Empire Strikes Back. Well, there I we don't go. <laughs> even remember the actual film. 
I remember running out of the theater dressed. My I was talking about this today. My dad, I wore my karate outfit, you know, the white karate <laughs> right? outfit, because mm-hmm. uh, my dad had me use that for Halloween to be Luke Skywalker. Okay, you yeah, know? sure. And you know, I'm sure I didn't have the boots or the utility belt, but mm-hmm. and so I remember running out of it and like rolling around somersaults like I was on Hoth, like I was just so excited about the film. I remember that. Um, I remember. I used to get my allowance on Saturdays and I would ride my bike to a movie theater and spend all my allowance to see the movie, to see a movie, at least one. Nice. I might skip to the other theater. There's only like three theaters, I think, in that, you know, back then when Mm -hmm. there were three screens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I used to do that. That was, I remember, vaguely remember cartoons and stuff. And I stopped doing that when I came out one day and my bike was gone. And so someone uh, right. had stolen my bike, and then I couldn't do it anymore. D- and dude, Question, talking, did I, you lock your bike? I think I did. I think I saw – or I think I accidentally, <laughs> like – I think I saw the – either the chain was just off. Mm. It was sitting there. Like, they just took it, or they clipped it or something. But, I, okay, this was – I lived there until second grade. So in second grade, I was riding my bike by myself off somewhere to go watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Different levels of parenting. Right? It is astounding when we think about not just what you know you and I grew up doing in our generation, but like the generation before us and before that. There's a great podcast that I have been binging for months now called The Dollop, which is an American okay. history podcast with two comedians, and they talk about you know these stories from the early 20th century and late you know 19th century, and they were like 11 year old. You know, Jacob Smith, blah, blah, was a miner, you know, like a coal miner in Virginia at 11. And it was like, what? Because what? at yeah. that point it was like, well, the dad died. So he needed to be the man of the house and get a job. And it was like, at 11? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It really is. Like, I have a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine her raising the family right now. <gasps> yeah. Be insane. So, yeah. So I th- I think that's that's where the early passion started. My my dad was an HBO uh, installer when it first wow. early on. Like, okay. When and so that was like what like early nineties, right? Or oh, was it eighties? Was it eighties? Uh, oh, sheesh. HBO started in the late seventies. Did it really? Yeah. Yeah, just barely anyone heard of it. But, yeah, I guess so. It, so early eighties, I was down in Southern California and. I would watch, I mean, because I'm a Star Wars playing over and over again, all the time on HBO. Hmm. Um, 1941. Wow. Spielberg mm-hmm. comedy that he's a, he's embarrassed by. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I, I still laugh at it. That And that film inspired me to get into uh, ballroom dancing later, um, swing dancing. Right. Oh, I've got to add that into all of the well, hats you wear. I don't really do that like, <laughs> anymore, but movies always influence me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, into everything I did, I think later on in life, and it just—it's always been there for me. And I, I'm my one regret that I have is that I didn't actually start doing this earlier. Again, um, I mean, but, I totally you know understand that, and I, I can sympathize with that. Yeah. At the same time, you know, quote unquote Hollywood is filled with stories where people start acting or directing or whatever in their 50s 60s yeah you know and beyond and so the biggest thing for me you wanted to do it you did it 
Yeah. Does not matter what the journey was or how long, like you wanted to do it since you were 18. You now did it. And you have awards to yeah. back it up. Now I will say I was a stage director for a long time. For that a helps. Lot. I've, so I have like 20 plays that I directed um, mm-hmm. to start. So I wasn't starting directing f- completely directing right. from nowhere. So there was a lot of, just a lot of technical stuff to learn. And I was just afraid to make that uh, leap over. Mm-hmm. And finally, and I knew enough about film as an actor um, not in really being films, but in like videos that local industrial stuff and maybe one or two little film type things. I knew enough to know how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that made me more afraid. And it wasn't until I did a little short film with somebody directing that knew nothing. Ah. And then I was like, inspired me to go, oh, they just had the, they had the guts. Mm-hmm. to just do it and i'm like well i should do it if i did that so i was so and so i was so nervous that first one that i did for the 48 hour but i knew like okay get the set weekend i can do it you know just try it i'll just try and go for it and mm-hmm. then getting an award from that was yeah it was a good a despite you know best use of prop like look it may not <laughs> it wasn't best cinematography any of that but Getting any sort of kudos mm-hmm. for someone just starting yeah. was a big deal. It was a big deal that for us. Absolutely. And, and you and I have talked about that before because the year that you won, you know, the prop was Puzzle. Yeah. And as with a lot of people new to the 48-hour film project or other 48-hour, you know, film competitions, they will pass the camera by a shelf that has a puzzle. And they were like, so yeah, put the puzzle in there. Yeah. It counts. And it was like... Come on, you actually actively made it a part of your film film yeah. and the story, and it all made sense. And so that was really what, what set it apart. Well, yeah. And that was an insistence when I had been involved in one before and it had done what you said. I was like, if I ever do one of these, if I'm ever in charge, I'm going to mm-hmm. make it about the thing. I'll tell you, you kids. <laughs> and so then uh, – that. Yeah, and so I also did see it almost as sort of a writing award, too. Mm-hmm. Like, even though yeah. it's not technically a writing award, but I was like, oh, but we had the best use, and that was all about writing, mm-hmm. because we, that's what we wrote. So. Because, again, it was not that you had that you used the prop in the creative way. It was like, no, you wrote the story revolving around the prop Yeah. versus writing to avoid the prop Yes. or writing to just include the line of dialogue that everybody has to say or use the yeah. character, which again, I get it. I have seen literally hundreds and hundreds of these 48 hour film, 48 hour films. And so I get it. You have a limitation, but to write to that specifically, yeah, it made sense. So... But yeah, so as far as, you know, that being the the film side of things, now that you have that kind of experience under your belt with those 48, those two 48 hour films, what are the things that you want to work on? I have a couple scripts that I'm working on right now. Okay. Um, I'm working, actually, Samantha Rund and I, so mm-hmm. Samantha from Black and a Half, um, we're working on a web series right now, kind of a buddy cop comedy. Okay. Uh, It'll have to be a comedy. We both both do stand up, right? Um, and I'm also working on sort of a. I'm working on a feature that involves um, three 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 friends uh, going to a comic con. Okay, I think it'll be uh, a comedy. So working on that and a couple other that are don't have 
things don't have uh not everything has sort of pen to paper yet okay. but i have things that and stories i want to tell just not in my favorite genre yet um you know i want to do a sci-fi story but i don't have one right now yeah um, but i'm working on yeah so i'm trying to write and get ready for the next thing um and i'll do some shorts as i as the ideas come up and we have some available people i think i'll do some short little films okay. and yeah especially as like i'm looking for contests that inspire me okay to go like somebody did a some somebody had me in a film of theirs where there was a it was a short film contest and it said like they just had a line of dialogue that has to start it like okay oh start every film yeah every okay. film had to start not just included like, at some point yeah it's like interesting do, do you have another one like that's where it needs to start and i like that because that's just a springboard yeah i can write i can write a play from that just give me give me the prompt and i'll write something mm-hmm. I, I love, that's what i love it's the starting from absolute blank that's a little more yeah. challenging yeah. <laughs> well i mean it's similar to you know those filmmaking pursuits you know you have your stand-up, you know, comedy career as well. When it comes to writing for both of those, what are those challenges? And like when you do comedy, do you start with a joke and then build from there? Or kind of how are those two things similar and also different? You, My comedy, I have a hard time writing things that aren't true. Okay. I just, it's really challenging just to make up a joke for me. Mm-hmm. I like usually what happens like one of my one of my closers right now is basically it was a rant I was having with my wife um, about someone else's joke because he, he was referring to like, oh, I'm a nerd. And he was talking about being a nerd like because he's, he's like a baseball nerd. Right. And I got this rant oh, about right. there's no such thing to my wife. And like then I said in it, I said the punchline. And as soon as I said that, we both laughed, and I wrote it down, and I built the joke from there. I kind of just structured what I had said. You know, I took mm-hmm. stuff, I edited what our conversation yeah. was. Um, a lot of stuff I have is either things that happened to me, like a, a story essentially, or a conversation, and then I just structure it. I, I tone it up so that it works as a joke. So a lot of things, like I have to do things mm-hmm. like, for me to. <laughs> You know, some some things are thoughts. Like I do, oh, I think about something, and you know, I write it on Facebook. But it is it is different, and I forget what comedian was talking about it. When after you know one of their big specials, they kind of isolated themselves to kind of get away from the road trip and everything. But then they're like, you start running out of material. Oh yeah, because you need to be out there living, having experiences, having conversations. And I have no desire to be one of those stand-up comedians that their act consists of talking about things that happened at other shows. Because there yeah. are those that they're like, I was at a show one time. And they like said it's this. old real quick. And it's like 30 minutes of, so I was at a show and I'm doing this. It's one thing if they were saying like, they're, I was at the Grand Canyon. Okay. Because they were probably there for a show, but then they went off and mm-hmm. did something. Like, I don't mind that. But the reason I listen to stand up is, I, I mostly I like stories, mm-hmm. I think. Mike Birbiglia is one of my favorite stand-ups. Okay. I think he's one of the best storytelling comics out there. Um, him and John Mulaney. Um, oh, John Mulaney is great. John Mulaney's, uh, I forget if it's called The Silver Diner. 
His diner story is one of the funniest things I still, one of the funniest stories about playing um, a song repeatedly on a jukebox is is one of the funniest stories I've ever listened to. I'm I'm real I'm really it really appeals to me these um, storytelling comics and mm-hmm. then you know he's canceled now but Louis C.K. what was great was his his slice of life stuff um, right because where it came from was usually a story that it started with mm-hmm. and I definitely I mean I agree with that like also because I mean I have been listening to comedy records. Forever and yeah, the ones as much as I love Mitch Hedberg, yeah, there are very very few comedians who only have one-liners. Their entire set, and it works. Yeah, like Mitch Hedberg, I mean, it was two three lines, and that was the joke. Yeah, for an hour and a half. <laughs> hard. That's hard. To so write. hard, you know. Versus somebody like Russell Peters, you know, where he tells these stories of his childhood, stories of his family. You know, and somebody like Colin Quinn, you know, formerly from Saturday Night Live, who does these one man shows on Broadway, who then now he has a couple Netflix specials where he does those shows. The whole time he is educating you. He is telling a beginning to end story that has jokes in the middle. Like that type of structure just kind of blows my mind. Yeah. But yeah, when you were growing up, what comedians kind of, again, gave you that push to do that my my dad used to send me um he used to send me tapes of comedy like cassette mm-hmm. tapes of comedy albums that he had um bill cosby mm-hmm. um we had all of his records yeah. growing up so also canceled yeah uh <laughs> smothers brothers so wow. i would listen to that like yeah bill, uh richard pryor my dad would send me richard pryor Ooh. which is kind of really funny to me thinking like oh okay mm-hmm. um which he wasn't much of a story comic, as I remember. I mean, they did. He would tell little stories, but I, he would, he's not someone I would call a storyteller, where his whole act is. Mm-hmm. The reason I point out Mike Burbigley is usually like his specials now are usually one hour, a a story that connects the whole thing. This is about one, a moment in his life, mm-hmm. and then, or what got him there. It's really almost like watching a play, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that that's the most appealing. So, and I think I think that all probably stems from Cosby with his stories of his childhood. Yeah, um, Carlin was the same way. I like Car- I, I did love Carlin. Um, I mean, but his thing, his was like what the the seven things seven you can't words, say on yeah. television. That's not a that's not a story. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he made points where he comes out and says like what his feelings on God were, mm-hmm. um, his feelings on these things or what we religion. Need to do is, and... What we need to do is a he was a I just called them sermons. You know, he had these pretty much. Yeah, like he would. He's like a, a an atheist sermon. <laughs> well, the other difference with Carlin, the thing that I loved about him, I love smart comedians. Yeah, intelligent comedians. And Carlin, when he would speak, you know that everything was researched. You know that he really, mm-hmm. you know, even if it was his own feelings, you know that he spent some time working on those feelings and just really going through it. And that is what I appreciate. Same with like Trevor Noah and everything. When you have this educational base that to me is what I just really connect with, which is why again, Mitch Hedberg as great as he was, was such an enigma in that everything was just really simple, but it worked. Like I loved all of Mitch Hedberg stuff and he, I mean, yeah, of course was gone way too early. Yeah. And Stephen with, Wright, you can still listen to some Stephen Wright. He oh yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, get some, uh, put a, was it 
put something and now I'm thinking, put minute rice in a microwave and he went backwards in time. I don't know, like weird things. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, those were tough. He talks about that. He's like, it's it's so hard to write an hour. I, I can imagine. Yeah. So with as far as the the comedy stuff, you have a is it monthly now? Is it twice a month now? What is your current show in Shoreline? My current show in Shoreline, it's a little dive bar. They serve mm-hmm. hot dogs. Questionable, uh, questionable <laughs> hot dogs. Not just hot dogs, my friend. Okay. What type Abominations. Of hot, what type of right. hot dog did you have recently? Hey, they have they have chili dogs. They nope. have they have cheese dogs. Not they the one I'm talking about. Yeah, I had uh, the their uh, uh, what's it called? They called the tutti frutti. Dog, sure, sure think, they did. I think it's the uh-huh. name of it. It's a a, a bacon wrapped. Hot dog. Already with, disgusting, with, but go ahead. With mac and cheese uh-huh. and Fruit Loops. Yeah. <sighs> what is wrong with people? I, you know what? No, oh, it's, it's, yeah, not as, not as. <laughs> yeah, and, and how was as, it? And how was it? It was kind of, eh. It was, mm. just, it was actually overpowering. The, uh, the hot oh, yeah, Wait, well, a no, bacon wrapped no, 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 no. hot dog with mac and cheese and Fruit the Loops? bacon and hot dog, it didn't blend with the other stuff. And not in like a this is gross way. Right. It's like, well, I can mostly just taste the bacon wrapped hot dog. Like the other stuff almost just superfluous. Need to be there. Yeah. Of course it does not need to be there. Well <laughs> God. what it uh I think if they tried it with homemade mac and cheese, I think it would actually be better. Oh right, because you did say it was kinda like crafty. It was plain. Like yeah, mac it was and like cheese. it didn't have a big flavor. So I was just honestly like I wanted to I wanted to see what was gonna happen here. Gross. And, uh, yeah, no, I forgot. When you did, when you put up that picture, <laughs> me and others, we were like, "Well, that looks like heartburn." Yeah, <laughs> just like you gotta try it. Hey, I, uh, I went to the gym next day. Work, work that off. There you go. Um, but so, how often is is that show currently? That's a monthly show. monthly show. Okay, yeah, because I went to the first one, made sure to support you guys and, and go to that one. When I went in with, oh, uh, you did, you did, yeah, yeah. you did go to that one. That one, because at that point it was like. You were thinking weekly, and then it... Yeah, it was you know. week, weekly, and they're like, we should probably do this monthly. And I'm like, it's a better idea. That kind yeah. of venue is better. Um, and people get more excited for it, and then it's filled. Then it's filled instead of, oh, it'll be here again next week. Yeah. Bar, bars can be tough on that. Um, but then I do also, I'll be uh, I'll be returning to Emerald City Comic Con yes. again this year for mm-hmm. Real Nerds of Comedy. Which uh, has, show I, I mean, put on every year i think for like six years now pretty much sells out like there are there were what oh like yeah 500 people there last year yeah it's it's fantastic a yeah. bunch of people who just totally love the same things that i do mm-hmm. uh, who are nerdier than me i love it but it's at other levels it's just it's a great place to do some of my material because they get every part of it mm-hmm. and some shows it's just you know people get the gist or they get the punchline, but they get subtle parts of my jokes yeah. and it's just so fun to do. Uh, it's, it, it's, I'll keep doing comedy just to keep doing that show. Mm-hmm. I think if I can, that show is, is great. Yeah. Uh, because again, yeah, it comedy shows are, you know, are great and everything, but to go to a comedy show at Emerald city comic con where the jokes are nerdy, where the comics are and they're nerdy and celebrating geeky. nerdisms and yes. they're celebrating the nerds and not just there. poking fun and, yeah, or not being po- mean. Not, yeah, no, yeah. that's my one rule is like they can't make fun of the audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, because especially in a crowd like that, yeah, you say very sensitive, very sensitive. And if you say the wrong thing, you lose that crowd immediately. Yeah. Oh, and so. yeah, you better be accurate too. Mm. It will fact check you, fact <laughs> check you in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, good stuff. So that will actually, that will be in March, yeah. again, coming up uh, here at Emerald City Comic Con. But yeah, what I will do is I will make sure to put the link uh, to your website in okay. the show notes. That way people can just kind of follow all of your stuff. 
Um, and then your Facebook pages are also super active, going to be even more active with your new uh, content oh, strategy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> putting stuff out there. So I'll be putting my comedy up, which I have not been. But I'm oh, really? going to start putting that up. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Because, um, you know, I'm, otherwise I'm just an alleged comedian. Of course. Unless people actually show up to things, you know. I feel like that, I mean, again, I talk about it on the episodes, but whenever I do one of these by myself, it still feels so weird because I'm like, here I am talking to myself, I put it online, and then I'm like, then when I get feedback, when like somebody emails me, they're like, oh, that was a good episode. And I was like, oh, I forgot people listen to that. Yeah. (laughs) Because it just, when it is by myself, it never really feels real. (laughs) Even the numbers, you're like, you see the numbers, you're like, oh, those are just numbers. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it is odd, but cool. Uh, well, yeah. So that was the getting to know you Silas Lindenstein edition. Uh, now we're going to go right into the movie reviews. So the first movie on the docket, uh, is one that I was legitimately excited for. Wow. And I love how IMDb just plays the trailer as soon as you go to the site. You didn't have that set up? No, this is just IMDb. Okay. Uh, so the first movie is Cats. Cats. Uh, <laughs> wow, it's getting, this, it's getting lit up. This movie. So this is a. This is the. I will say the first feature movie of Cats, because what they did before is what they do frequently on Broadway. Is they I forget the term for it, and it kills me. But when they film the stage production, yeah, and then give it some little extra, you know, features. So they did that version, and that was in I think like '94. So growing up, we owned that on VHS. I have three sisters. So you better believe that we learned the songs. Really? Uh, I learned the choreography. Uh, to this day, I could sing most of these songs. So I was legitimately excited about this movie, even though the first trailer was a train wreck. <laughs> like just the visuals of it were so odd. So you're like, okay. The stage production, you have people dressed up as cats, fantastic makeup, choreography, costuming, you know, crawling around the floor like cats. And you're like, cool, I believe it. It is theater. This anthropomorphized, furry, heavy (laughs) version of cats where you have the actors, you know, kind of wearing ping pong ball suits and the green screen suits like you see in Avengers and everything. With all this fur, and it is bizarre yeah. to look at. Like, it is it, it is very strange. I mean, but what other film would you get Taylor Swift and Idris Elba in together? Pretty I much. Mean, and what? And Judy Dench, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. yeah. Dame Judy Dench, like, Ian McKellen. Like, this cast. The cast is amazing. It really is. And the fact that Ian McKellen. So, again, as listeners of my show know, and if this is your first time listening, to the episode because you knew Silas was on here and you just wanted to check it out and you've never heard of my podcast before. First, welcome. Thank you for listening. I am a huge musical theater kid. I grew up in musical theater. I grew up in choirs of all sorts. My mom was the choir director. Uh, Recently, I went home for a couple days and spent time with my family. Without fail, when my sisters are around, eventually my mom will sit down at the piano and then we just sing. Whether it is show tunes, whether it is stuff from musical theater, church, whatever it was, we just sing. That is what we do. So with Cats, this musical means a lot to me, even yeah. though 
I recognize it is the dumbest musical of all time. Oh, yeah. Literally every song is just a song about the cat that they're introducing. That is it. The musical, the stage production. And this is not even a something where you can look at the movie and be like, oh, well, they changed this and this and blah, blah, blah. The stage production is bad. Like it really, there is no story other than the Jellicle cats gather once a year and old Deuteronomy gathers them together at the Jellicle ball where they make the Jellicle choice. They go to the heavy side layer and a cat gets to be reborn. None of that makes any sense. Nobody knows what a Jellicle cat is, even though they sing a song about what a Jellicle cat is. Nobody knows what the Jellicle choice is. In the movie, they make it a competition of who gets to be the Jellicle choice. In the stage production, we just get songs about cats and then old Deuteronomy shows up and he has this old black man and he chooses the cat. They go up on this elevated staircase to the moon. And that is it. This movie, first of all, they tried to create a story. So Idris Elba, who you mentioned earlier, plays McCavity. He was, for all intents and purposes, the villain of the stage production. I just use air quotes in an audio medium. Yeah. He is in the original production for 60 seconds. When people just say, McCavity, McCavity, and they just sing about him as he yeah. lurks in the background that he is a scary cat. That is it. That's it. it. Done. In this, we get Idris Elba as McCavity, who gets a little bit of his own song, which is dumb, and then he uses magic to take people out of the competition after they sing their song. If you want to get even on the competition, take them away before they sing their songs so that people do not get a quote-unquote chance yeah. to see them perform. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. No, I mean, nothing, none of it makes sense. Yeah. But I love this stupid production. This movie, though, is a train wreck. So in the beginning... When they first start slinking around and they're singing the Jellicle song, or rather the overture, you can kind of laugh at it. You're like, all right, this is going to be silly and fun. The worst part about it, by the second act, when I knew how many songs they had left, yeah, that made it so much worse. Because I'm sitting there being like, this movie is awful, and I know they have eight songs left. Which means at least another 40 minutes, especially with how many times they're making this weird McCavity character transport people away. Insane. Uh, one thing I will talk about, one positive thing, or a couple positive things. The visual effects, even though they look really creepy in certain parts, they work. Like, in a, in surprisingly, in a lot of the movie, it works. People talked about how in this year, with Avengers Endgame, the quantum suits the white suits that you yeah. see the Avengers wearing, none of that is real. Yeah, I was shocked. A hundred percent of that is visual effects. This, there are parts in this movie where you can almost, like in the back of your mind, forget that this is like nothing. They're not wearing anything. Everything is visual effects. Wow. Like, and it kind of blows your mind. Even their face? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, so they, they did a couple behind-the-scenes featurettes. And so what they will do is they will put on some, like, some contouring and some basic stuff so they have something to go off of. Yeah. But for the most part, this is all visual effects. Here's the thing. Here's the flip side to that, though. When they had the world premiere in L.A. on Monday night, uh, I saw this on Tuesday. So they had the world premiere on Monday night. Tom Hopper, 
the director, who did Les Mis uh, a couple years ago, won an Oscar for, oh, what did he win an Oscar for? Was it the Emmett, uh, the King's Speech. Oh, it's so, like okay. this is a, a legitimate director yeah. doing this. So before people screen, before the movie was screened, this is in LA. He gets on stage to introduce the movie because it is LA. He goes up there and says, hey, you know, welcome to Cats, blah, blah, blah. I finished the movie and saw the final cut at 2 p.m. today. Five hours before the premiere. Wow. Why? Why would you say that? Basically, if that is true, and he said it, so it is hard to not believe it. This is the director saying yeah. it. Save that for two weeks. Because once your movie opens, if it flops, boom, you got an excuse. Oof, I saw the final cut at 2 p.m. week of opening. Cool. If it blows people's minds, boom, you got it. You know how great that movie was? I finished it at 2 p.m. the day of the screening. Yeah. But no, he said it before anybody in the world has seen this movie. Not smart. Not smart. He knew what it was. I, <laughs> I guess. Um, so the visual effects, pretty solid. The smoothing of some of the characters in the dance sequences was real weird. Like, it just does not work. The biggest thing from the stage production are the costuming, choreography, and makeup. In this one, because of the CGI and the visual effects smoothing, the choreography gets lost a lot of the time. Because they're just kind of moving in ways and you can tell the, the visual effects are keeping up with the dancers. And so you see these kind of weird transitions. So that was, that was pretty odd. Francesca Hayward was great in it. She is a legitimate world-class dancer. She plays Victoria. But the biggest part about this movie, the gulf of talent when it came to singing and performing was massive. Never was it more evident than when Jennifer Hudson, who plays Grizabella, comes on screen within her first two notes. Everybody in the theater just let out this sigh of relief, being like, oh, this is what it is supposed to sound like. Because it is Jennifer Hudson. This woman could read the phone book, sing the phone book at you, and you would start crying. Yeah. So she has a beautiful, like, performance in a couple different areas they really expanded grizabella's character she sounds great jason derulo as rum tum tugger he sounds great and it just when everybody else starts singing except for a couple of people who are legitimate musical theater actors taylor had to be good right i guess i just i'm not a big taylor swift fan yeah and what they did with her song which she does the introduction introduction to mccavity but that should have come in the beginning of the movie. It was just weird. Her whole introduction was weird because she basically is the catalyst for a drug-induced dance number where she is sprinkling catnip on people and drugging them without their permission. Oh, okay, cool. Rude, Taylor cool. Swift. All right. Consent, please, before you start drugging yeah. people. So that was bizarre. Rebel Wilson as Jenny Anydots. I knew was going to bother me before I even saw this movie because Rebel Wilson does her sta- her same shtick and everything. Yeah. In her main song, the Jenny Annie Dot song, she does six or seven fat jokes or like, oh, physical comedy. I'm so big I fell over. Yeah. Six or seven within two and a half minutes. We get it. Yeah. 
Like that was just, it was too much. Um, Ian McKellen as Gus the Theater Cat. When you get a legendary actor like Ian McKellen and Dame Judi Dench, I think, is Ian a knight? So is he Sir Ian? Yeah, he better be. Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you get two <laughs> knights of the British order up there and you get them to like kind of lick their hand and go behind their ear like a cat and they look out of a bowl, it blows my mind that I'm like, Tom Hopper, how? How did you get Ian McKellen, this legendary screen and stage actor, to lick out of a bowl? Like, it it was madness. Um, this movie will be a hit, I think, with younger audiences because it just visually it is a lot hmm. and the music and everything oof though like this is as somebody who knows the stage production they changed a lot of the arrangements of the song not just in where they put them in the production but the actual arrangement of the music because they're dealing with people who really cannot hold their own especially when you have jennifer hudson just getting up there and just crushing it she has a scene in the last like 10 minutes of the movie that nearly redeems the entire movie because she is just singing and acting her ass off and just right into the camera. And everybody in the theater is just watching this, just completely transfixed. That moment was better than any of the visuals, any of the songs, any of the cinematography, like she crushed it, but that was about it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so if again, if this is your first time listening to this episode or this show about review, there's a rating system on this show. There are no stars, no letter grades. It is a completely unique system. There are three choices, good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something you would recommend to a friend. Bad film is something you walked out of the theater and you're like, man, that was a movie. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Without Jennifer Hudson in this film this would by far be an ugly because the movie is just a mess. The visuals barely hold together for a lot of it. The choreography gets lost because of the visual effects, but Jennifer Hudson saves this from being an ugly and transitions it right into bad. Like this is something some people will say you need to see on the big screen. Not really. No, it will look great on the big screen. You can watch this at home. Yeah. So yeah, it, it gets a bad from me. Okay. Uh, was that even on your list of things to watch this year? I didn't even know it was coming out until like a, <laughs> a, a, a week ago. And I was wow. Like, really? It's like, really? Oh, I, I almost saw the stage production and I wasn't <sighs> that interested. The stage uh, production is incredible. But then when I saw it, I was I was like, wow, what an impressive cast. And then, then this morning I just started hearing yeah. some reviews about it. But definitely, you know, shout out to the furry community because they are going to <laughs> love this movie. <laughs> uh, there is there is plenty of right. anthropomorphicness to go around. Right. Uh, switching gears completely. So the next movie uh, I'm going to be reviewing is Uncut Gems. Okay. Now this is by Benny and Josh Safdie or better known as the Safdie Brothers. Directing and writing team, uh, they also act as well. They did Good Times from last year with Robert Pattinson, which is an insanely good movie. Uh, was it Mother? I think it was theirs from a couple years ago. Uncut Gems 
is the kind of return of dramatic Adam Sandler. Uh, he has, I mean, he has done plenty of dramatic roles, but they're kind of sparsed out in between a lot of crazy comedies. Yeah. Especially when he got like that seven movie deal from Netflix a couple years ago and was just cranking out these movies. Yeah. Uncut Gems tells the story of Adam Sandler's character, uh, Howard Ratner, who is a jewelry store owner and severe gambling addict. We see him doing things and just, he is always, there's an old saying that my parents would say, robbing Peter to pay Paul. He is always trying to find a way to get to the next score, the next thing, and to just kind of make it happen because the next one is going to be the big one. Just trust me, the next thing is going to be big. So in this movie, he comes across or gets in contact with this huge uncut opal that is you know going to be worth millions of dollars at this auction the chain of events that happen in this film where he is just trying to get this to the auction kevin garnett shows up like real basketball player kevin garnett in this movie and is legitimately good like he is a solid actor in this uh the weekend is in this briefly as, as well uh lakeith stanfield is in this. So the cast is is solid, but the thing that the, the Safdie brothers do, they continue to make the most uncomfortable movies you have ever watched. People always say like, oh, is it edge of your seat thriller? Literally with uncut gems, you are constantly uncomfortable. You are watching this movie and watching this character do things, and I was literally squirming in my seat just wanting that scene to be over, wanting it to just for something to happen, not even necessarily positive to happen, something to happen to get me out of that moment. And they excel at that. And that never stops from beginning to end. As we go on this roller coaster of emotions that we see this character kind of falling into debt. We have people coming to collect these certain debts all around New York, we see his marriage with Adina Menzel kind of falling apart. It is so hard to watch, but this is one of those movies where it pays off. As uncomfortable as you are watching this movie, it pays off big. Adam Sandler absolutely crushes his performance. And he does not really have those things that all of us who grew up watching Adam Sandler movies, the growth that he has had from things, I mean, movies that I love, you know, like Happy Gilmore, you know, Waterboy, you know, all of those types of things. Watching him in this, you would never think he has done any movies like that. Hmm. Like, this is a legitimate dramatic performance that is incredible. Uh, it recently won some awards with our local Seattle Film Critics Society Awards, uh, which happened last week. Okay. So it won our best editing award and best score. Granted, the best score of the year should be Knives Out. (laughs) That score is phenomenal. It is embarrassingly good. But with Uncut Gems, it never takes its foot off the pedal. It never makes you feel comfortable. There are never moments where you can just relax and enjoy the movie. But because of that, you're constantly engaged. 
And that is very rare, especially these days. Mm -hmm. So there is not really much I can, not much more else I can go into that without going into spoilers. And this movie does not really come out in the major cities until next week. So, yeah. But if you if you like intense dramas, this is an absolute must-see. Like, this just, oh, yeah. So, so painfully uncomfortable, but it pays off. So, my official rating for Uncut Gems is, is a solid good. Like, this, I, I went to a screening of this a few weeks ago for our awards. They sent another copy of it so I could watch it at home. Now that I have some time after pumping out a bunch of other things for the awards, I definitely plan on watching this again, but not for a while. Yeah. Because it is it is hard to to sit through. But yeah, absolutely rewarding. So yeah, so that was Uncut Gems. Adam Sandler stars and then the Safdie Brothers direct. Now, to this uh little old movie called Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Yes. The reason Mr. Silas Linenstein, one reason that he is in studio for this episode. So first, you have a Star Wars story that you're going to say at the top of the episode that you said you would wait to to do. Now is your um, time, brother. Speak your truth. Wait, which 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 one? I because I have a lot of Star Wars stories. Now I'm now I'm trying to remember. So basically, so your first exposure to this was Empire. Yeah, you saw it in the theater, fell in love with it. How long? Did you go from that until you saw like A New Hope, you know, where you really started to kind of get the rest of well, I, the story? Well, I just don't remember seeing A New Hope, but I know I had to have seen it. Before, before. Empire? Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because I think I would have seen the order of it. So I was I not sure. I mean, because like yeah. my first, technically my first movie that I was in the theater for was Star Trek 3, uh, but I do not remember because my parents just wanted a date night. Yeah. So they brought me. The first movie I remember, though, was 1989 Batman. Okay. Yeah. I think I probably saw Star Wars on HBO repeatedly before Empire came out. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So I don't think I actually saw it on the big screen until when they... Re-released them in the 90s? Uh, yes. I think, I, I think the first time might have been... They did do the pre-special edition, like mm-hmm. not the special editions yet. There was a quick release of those. Oh, yeah. And then the like, last original versions that yes, they released, those and then, jerks. Then the la- then they did a special editions a little mm-hmm. bit later. I think I still have, probably at my parents' house, that re-released version without like the true original versions, the VHS box set. Mm-hmm. I think I still have that somewhere. Wow. <laughs> but they wear out. Like, yeah. Every time you use them, you're you're, you're tempting fate. <sighs> Seriously, <laughs> I still weird. have like tapes. I have the limited, uh, I have a DVD, the DVD, the Target, a few years ago, mm-hmm. they released the original theatrical version on DVD. Really? With, along with the special edition, it was just the number two disc on it. it they've done nothing to it. Wow. It has nothing, no, they didn't clean anything, they didn't touch it. It's no just random a, dinosaurs that were CGI for no it. reason. And so you put it on and it looks like it's a TV, like it looks like it's a VHS copy of it. Right. But it's on DVD and I can watch it and there's no, yeah, no special awesome. add-ins. And that's the only one that my daughter saw for a while. Good. I wouldn't, didn't even, I, would, I didn't explain it to her and suddenly she's like, what, what is this? Yeah, like, this like, is oh, when it got broken. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yes, I, I can't remember from the beginning what story I was I was going to tell. Uh, but basically, what does Star Wars mean to you? You said it is the most important passion. Oh, okay, yes, that's what it is. Here's the thing: like, part of it's like you can't even review Star Wars like a movie. Like, it's not because it's more. Yeah, it really is. Like, aside, and this movie is not just the end of a. It's not the end of a trilogy. I mean, it's it's nine movies, yeah, yeah, a saga. Well, and this is what I why I say it's one of the most powerful is what most what the majority of people who are Star Wars uh, fans, mm-hmm. I would say, are really based off of three movies. Yeah, that from forty two years ago. <laughs> yeah that that made everybody crazy for Star Wars, and they they like Star Wars, and you know, and a majority of people don't like the prequels. Mm-hmm. So, and a majority of people don't read the other media, yeah. like but the they're fifty books and yeah. hundreds of comics. And there's video games that they go yeah. after, like, and there is, and with the worlds colliding, like what we th- my my thing, especially about Leia, was like mm. with with Carrie Fisher's passing, was. She only appeared in four, well, I guess five movies, right? Mm-hmm. And people were like, no, that's Leia. You can't change Leia. Like, they were, they were, the recasting was off the table. And I was like, it's just five movies. But she's so branded and everybody yeah. yep. thought that you just, you can't replace her. Mm-mm. And personally, I think it would have been the better choice. But, mm. like. Hot take. Well. <laughs> I've said this. I've said this. I think coming from a theater background, like I wanted to, I wanted to know what Leia's story was yeah. going to be. I mean, I know they had a plan, and they had a, then you got to change it. And I know that happens in other things, but this was, a, I mean, this was kind of sort of a setup, a, a trilogy of like, oh, the next one's supposed to be about her. Uh oh, well, can't do that now. Yeah. I guess unless you recast it, and so. I'm, for me, it's going to be like, what was the story supposed to be? Yeah. Um, and, and you just can't get around that. Um, and I just think it's such a big thing. You know, Star Trek is big. Yep. But it's based off of like 400 television episodes and yeah. 12 movies. Like, mm-hmm. there is so much that it's built its fandom over. It hasn't. It didn't build its fandom from three movies. Eight hours, yeah. maybe. Of, of Four, if you count the holiday special. <laughs> <Four>. <laughs> which, unfortunately, yeah. we which have most to. Most people haven't. Most people haven't seen it. Oh, God. Which, again, so for those of you who are not, do not know what we were talking about, between Jedi and Empire. No, it was before Jedi. Before Star before Star Wars and Empire. Yeah. Be, yeah. Between Star, before New Hope and Empire. Yeah. Well, it wasn't New Hope back then. Well, True. So they came out the Star Wars Christmas special. That was where we saw Boba Fett for the first time. That was where B. Arthur <laughs> made her appearance. <laughs> it's just like it is when the first reference of Life Day. It was about Life oh. Day, not holiday. Which Life Day is back? Life Day is back. Yeah, the the TV show brought it back. This movie, the the holiday special, is so weird. You get the you get. <sighs> Yeah, it just it is a mess. Yeah. It, it is a mess. I'm not. I'm not. But, sp- but most people haven't seen it because it only True. aired once, and it's only in like it, it aired once, and then it just got yeah. buried, it's bootlegged. But now you can find it anywhere. Yeah, but it's so it's a it has that much 
it brought that much passion out from people mm-hmm. on just so few hours of actual movies that it's, yeah. sho- it's shocking to me. It really is. When you think about one thing to his credit, and again, yes, he went crazy with edits and everything like that. What Lucas did as an independent filmmaker in 1977, when actually 1976, when they started putting these movies together, is nearly unmatched. Like the, what he was doing, creating filming techniques, making models of all of the, yeah. the adats and everything. Like it, it is tremendous that they even got made. It is even crazier to think 42 years later, we get the conclusion of the Skywalker saga. Yeah. And my argument to my wife earlier today was like, she said, because she said, well, what do you think now that it's ended? And I'm like, you know what? I thought it ended at Return of the Jedi. I didn't Seriously. know it was the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Nobody. And yeah. again, that was why when you look at the, and none of the home releases have it, but in the theaters, there was never episode four. That came later. Yeah. It was just Star Wars. And and then it besides said, oh, we're doing the prequels and now it's, oh, and now it's Anakin's story. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Anakin's story before? It wasn't no. the story of Vader. Because my wife was like, well, it was Vader's redemption story. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was about a guy named Luke with his, maybe, eventually it was about him going to his father and yeah. trying to turn his father back. But it wasn't about Vader. It wasn't about Vader. It was just a cool villain. They made it to suddenly... Suddenly, they put three prequels to make the whole thing about Vader. And then then we jump forward in time, and now I'm like, now you're making it about Skywalker again. Like, yeah, kind of. Wasn't even the, he wasn't even in Force Awakens, really. Like, so yeah. it was like, so when they said uh, the end of the Skywalker saga, and I was like, really? I thought it ended already, but okay. Well, let's say that. Yeah. Let's see what you're going to do to make that. The end of the Skywalker saga. And so so with this movie, yes. with Rise of the Skywalker, yes. it is the continuing adventures of the new characters that we have grown to, we've grown accustomed to. Yeah. Some of which we like, some of which we love, some of which we tolerate. Yeah. You know, we have Rey and Kylo Ren and Finn, Poe. You know, we have all of these, these characters in their continued battle against the what then they call completely and originally the final order because get it it is the final film the final time you will see these things come on like so right off the bat i will say and again not many people actually by the time this episode drops the public has not seen this movie okay so obviously no spoilers. I do not do spoilers on the show anyway, yeah. but especially for a cultural phenomenon like this. Like you said, yeah. this is not just a movie. <laughs> this is a cultural phenomenon. My initial reaction with this movie, it is like going to see a band where you know all of their songs for the past 30 years and they play the hits. And there is not much else. Like the actual original storytelling moments in this film are very, very few. And so that was hard for me to sit through this and being like, okay, uh, that exact thing happened in other movies. That exact thing happened in the previous movie. And then, then when they do these callbacks, which we all know is going to happen. Yeah. Because again, this was the end of this saga. We knew there were going to be callbacks, but I did not. A lot of the callbacks to me did not do anything. It was almost to the point where with The Last Jedi, 
when we see these dice that we have never seen before in any Star Trek lore. And then they suddenly become a thing. And then in Solo, when that movie comes out, we get the story of those dice. That was Last Jedi, right? Or was that Force Awakens? No, that was Last Jedi. Um, and Solo. Right, but like we get... But there's actually... That's a that's a argument mm-hmm. from forever ago. There's There's people that insist in the original cut of Star Wars... They remembered dice. In the, ah, that feels like a Mandela effect, right? I, I remember having an <laughs> argument with a friend when I moved up uh, to, Sea- or to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they were like, "No, there's dice in the Millennium Falcon." I was like, no, "No, there's not." No. And they're like, "Yeah, there is." And so we actually watched it. And she's like, "They edited it out." She no. swears they were there. Mandela effect. Well, maybe Mandela effect, but it is a it is a Star Wars fan nod to something that people believe was there. <sighs> sure. And so, I don't think it's that it just showed up. Right. And so in, in this movie, we get that a few times, and that just kind of got a little tired to me. Yeah. Uh, Leia's story, to kind of touch on that, because that was everybody's question going into this. Even after the last one, people were like, how? How are they going to do this? When I first saw Last Jedi, there were three moments in that movie where they could have just ended her story in a beautiful send-off. And they did not. And I get it. When they were filming it, they, you know, they obviously did not know anything. So with this movie, I was like, okay, is it going to start with a funeral? You know, the death of General, you know, Organa. You know? No. She they they still had a bunch of footage. And so they they made it work. It felt lacking to me there were only a couple sound bites where i knew that they were franken bites i knew that they had audio of her but not in the scene that they wanted it to be yeah so they used that audio and just spliced it into other areas i was okay with that but as far as her actual kind of arc in this story it it did not really hit me in the feels where in the last jedi they hit me three different times and i was like Oh, this is going to be it. Oh, nope. Just kidding. She is flying now. And then it was like, oh, this is going to, oh, nope. She is better now. So that was kind of just weird. And I know that that is me, but yeah, for you, when you're watching this, did it kind of give you those warm and fuzzies with Star Wars? Like we grew up having. Well, overall, Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. I felt I felt the like I felt the enjoyment. Yes, it was like it was like going back to some of the other films, but for me there are these it's the same complaint as the, uh, of the uh Force Awakens when people said Star Killer base, right? Right. Oh, they're bringing back another death killer. And I was like, well, here's the the joke is in the Star Wars novels and every in the comic book it's the that's the thing it's every time always a, yep. something's gonna destroy a planet it's like these same kind of things keep happening again and mm-hmm. uh like and as han said in that one he's like oh there's always a way kid you know like, and he was like you know, it's, it's impenetrable he's like ah, there's yeah there's always one yeah, spot, spot. <laughs> um it's like this ongoing joke and so i got it and i kind of been like oh, i like that they're doing this he, they, but they have to make it like a little bit bigger right like it's right. gonna be a little worse this time i i kind of so i do enjoy that it's it's warm it's got a warmness the 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 leia i was i was concerned about it and i did feel for me it was the it was the it was the harder part of the film 
it was it was could be jarring. Mm-hmm. Like like yeah, you're kind of yeah, you kind of forced that to make yeah. it happen. I tried to be. I was trying to be forgiving because they didn't do what I wanted to do. Absolutely, which was replace, replace her. Like I just wanted you to replace her with somebody else. Make it short, get them out. But I did like the usage. Okay. The the where they did try to create emotion with it because I was willing. It was where it was. It's funny. I was willing to suspend my disbelief as much as I could for anything else in it. Sure. With the like. I know what you were trying to do here, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with it. I'm gonna let my emotions take. I'm gonna mm-hmm. let you take me here because I know you wanted me to go there. And I was like, and I was like, oh yeah, there was. I mean, I cried. I I cried three times in this film. Did you really? I did. I did I was, not notice. I was, I was okay. I was rolling. I'm like, it must have oh, been your God. left eye because you were on my uh, left side, uh, so your right eye was clear. <laughs> so <laughs> no, no, they were both. I was just like really? swelled up, and I was just like, I'm gonna hold together for this thing. I got you. Wow. Um, okay. There were parts that hit the emotions hit me because I, I I went with it, and it's it was partly the moment. Like it was over. It's an overwhelming experience. Yeah. Um, and I I'm enjoying. I want to watch it. I can't wait to see it again. Calmer. You know, just the, yeah. You were you were real hype. <laughs> I was like, just, you know, like okay, let me just take this in, and mm-hmm. I, I think the parts that bothered me will bother me a little bit more. I'm the my my biggest complaint about all the movies since they've come out has been it's the time. Everyone goes from planet to planet, and like ever ever since the prequels started, seriously, the prequels did it. Yeah, like where he's like, oh, I'm gonna travel the other side of the galaxy. I'll be there in a you know two minutes, three minutes, mm-hmm. like. They have no, no, no sense about things take a while to get to yep. anymore at all. And they was... don't pretend time passed. <laughs> they, at least Empire, they kind of did that, but they kind of pretended time passed a little bit. They gave a little. little clues yeah. that oh, you could imagine they were here a few days. Mm-hmm. You know, just a little. You know, yeah, no. no but this, no, no, they go. They're just like planet hopping, like like what? nobody's business. And to me, and this is kind of yes, another dig. Uh, it's kind of rise of the MacGuffin because there were so many like red herrings in this, so many MacGuffins where it was like, okay, oh no, we need to get there right away. Next scene, they're there. So like the editing of this did not do the film any yeah. favors because one of the, the tropes that I hate, and this isn't any genre, whether it is sci-fi, drama, musical, whatever it is. So in this movie, and this is not a spoiler because it was in the trailer, Palpatine or a version of Palpatine, is returning. Yeah. So the gap, the time from... The time that we last saw Palpatine to now, in movie time, I would say is about 30 years. Yeah. So in that time, there are some machinations going on in the background, and Palpatine has been pulling strings, whatever. Suddenly, when the the protagonists find out the plan, they have 16 hours before the universe explodes. So it is like what I just I hate that trope in any yeah. movie where it is like White House down or Olympus has fallen where like something has been going on but as soon as the hero knows about it they're like we have 10 hours to save the world. Yeah. It's like wait, what? So if you guys had not found out about it in 10 hours everybody yeah. is dead. Yeah. This is how it goes. So that just that just bothers me in any genre. So in this movie when it, again as soon as they find out about it in the first like 30 minutes of the movie and they're like we have 16 hours and then the rest of the movie is like we only have 10 hours. We only have eight hours. I mean. In an hour. And it was like, first of all, you are in space. You guys still have hours? In that. That's true. In, I mean. In the, 
really? Like, what? Is, wait, is that counting the time change? Uh, time change. That was one zones? thing that Star Trek oh. did really cleverly. Is first they established the star date. Yeah. Which it depends on which series you are watching and which season. And I could go into the reason for yeah. Stardust, but I'm not going to. But they would say things very innocuously, you know, and it was really like, you know, in two hours, you know, or they would say in two of your Earth hours. They would yeah, preface it. And this, you're traversing well, yeah. the galaxy. And it was like in 16 hours, 16 well, hours on which side of the galaxy? Well, like they, what? <laughs> they also. They've gone into this thing, and not just this film. Mm-hmm. They're really trying to speed things like Star Wars up a lot, a lot. Like because then they <laughs> go like, you know, we're in the in the first trilogy. You had all this time to plan to where like, okay, they're they are invading Hoth, right? Mm-hmm. The Empire is going to invade Hoth. They're going there. Okay, so we got to go drop down the folks. Well, actually, actually, you know what? Truthfully, uh, it does seem like everyone gathers, makes plans, mm-hmm. giant war plans. Yeah. Really fast. Real fast. I mean, when the Death Star was going to get Yavin, they did have like 12 hours. They had time to prepare. They're like, sure. oh, but then we just got the last couple hours. But you knew they had time to plan. Mm-hmm. In every one of these movies, when as events happen, they're like, okay, we got a plan for war. We got about 20 minutes. Let's just sit around <laughs> yeah, and talk exactly. about this. And I'm sure we'll just, uh, it'll all go smooth. It's just space battle. It's not like it's complicated or anything. And that just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, so you, like, you have to just. And that's the big suspension of disbelief was the just the, how fast they can plan for a battle yeah. and and move on. There, there's things that are just they're ridiculous, but they're now just part of Star Wars. Like okay, it's ridiculous, but it's I'll, I'll go with it. I, I think again, and I was just looking at my notes, on my phone, because I did not really have time to like write any other things down. But I think again, that was one of the the disconnects for me. And there will always be like Star Wars, kind of my. So you talked about seeing Empire in the theater. With me, my connection to Star Wars, so they came out, the years that they came out also corresponded to the years that my two older sisters and I were born. Okay. So that was just kind of a weird coincidence. Like they, you know, I've always been meant a little something special, but growing up, we would have movie nights where my parents would like invite people over and we would watch Star Wars. It's like, that was what I grew up with. My dad talks about when he was still running marathons. He sees Star Wars 1977 when it comes out. The next marathon he did right after that, as he was running, like he said, I was trying to draw the force in me because yeah. I had three more miles left. It was in Denver, 5,000 feet of elevation. And he was just, so he talked about that. So it has always been a part of my life. When I watch the original movies, I cannot help but feel happy. Yeah. Like they, they, they touch me physically, spiritually, mentally, in ways that just, they will always matter to me and feel feel incredibly unique. In this movie, I think, again, one of my disconnects was when every time you hear R2-D2, you know, your heart kind of goes Twitter-pated a little bit. C-3PO, Anthony Daniels has been crushing that role for 42 years. (laughs) And only that role. Uh, Pretty much. But hey, those royalty checks, son. Woo! (laughs) Um... So hearing hearing him, like, it hit me. What they did in moments, though, where they would do these unnecessary fake-outs. They would do these unnecessary building of tension, building of dramatic moments when I was really feeling something, but then in the next scene, none of it matters. Or 10 minutes later, none of it matters. 
that was hard for me because we knew we knew going into this, and it was in one of the trailers when C three PO uh poe was like what are you doing c3 what are you doing 3po and he was like taking one last look at my friends and it was like <gasps> you know and so it it got me the resolution to that the, the payoff for yeah. that really just upset me yeah so and they did that two or three different times in this film Ugh. yeah no i had a jaw drop one on one of them i know Ooh, we will have to talk about that after yeah, i was i was i was shocked and then um, and I see, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that. Cause I, it was just, I do, I do people sacrificing things is always important and it should always resonate. And they did, but when the sacrifices do not mean anything mm-hmm. or it feels like they do not mean anything, that, that was kind of crazy. <laughs> it's, I think it is a partly a result of, um, I think all of it's coming from the, the, the Whedonizing of of action movies, where yeah, where, where everything, every bit of every time something tense builds up, let's crack a joke to get rid of the yeah uh, drama of it, and, and I, I, I hate mean, that, that that started with Whedon really pushed that yeah, and he now did. It, it will and Marvel's just inundated with it and mm-hmm. won't stop, um, which partly what what i like about dc if they would just execute a little better um <laughs> just taking seriously and i think they they want to do these big dramatic mm-hmm. moments but then they chicken out they, to yeah they, they they cheapen it almost and it was like let us experience that you know similar in a way to uncut gems they're like it is oddly funny in moments but it does when it hits you it hits you hard yeah and repeatedly and does not give you that moment of levity to be like whoo all right how about time to the next one and it was like no just let us live in that moment trust your audience enough to give us that uncomfortable moment and give us that time to grieve i yeah. felt like this movie never really did that and i think one of the biggest things that i struggled with with this current trilogy i will say with the most recent trilogy yeah. two characters so Kelly Marie Tran as Rose Tico and Damo Gleason as General Hux. In the beginning of this trilogy, I was like, okay, here are some interesting characters. How about we see where we go with them? At the end of this trilogy, those two characters could have been eliminated from the story altogether and literally nothing would have changed. That is a just a travesty of screenwriting. Because like, why give us these unique characters. Cause like general Hux, I liked that character. Rose Tico. I wish they gave her more to do. It felt like they just never knew what to do with her from the beginning. Rose only came in in last Jedi, right? Which I thought she was. Yes, she did. Yeah. Okay. But it was like, so you kind of build her up and it was like, okay, you know, do we have I, a love interest? Do we have this or that? I don't think it's her fault. Oh I no. Think, I, I don't even think it's their, I think the, the, the cowardice of, yeah, of JJ and everyone else afraid of making her a star now because of the, in, because of people, which again, because it, of internet people, yeah, which um, I, that, that just how ethically bothers me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. When it was like, you did nothing with her. And after the last movie, she had to shut down her social media because she was getting bullied so much. Like granted, I, I do agree with you. If they had suddenly given her, you know, the keys to the empire, something she was on, some sort of throne at the end, people would be up all up in arms, but do something with her. 
she is in this movie 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And we, and I get, yeah, I will not, I will not spoil anything, but I felt unsatisfied with the resolution you know, of, I mean, of her arc. How, dare I call it that? <laughs> to a degree though, they do do that with other characters. Like, sure. Like, I mean, uh, the, <laughs> I was thinking of the guy from, um, the guy from Porkins heroes. Yeah. Porkins. Yeah. Um, you or I, I don't think he is. Porkins was the original one. I forget, okay. but yes, I, I know exactly Heroes, like, who you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm trying to think if they did that much with the original series. There's, I mean, there's a couple that were they they did. I mean, for sure, Wedge. You know, Wedge Antilles. You know, I mean, there's. I mean, it's a vast universe, yeah. which makes it fun to play in. That you can go oh, absolutely. Let's find out more about this character. Who's oh, people are interested in them. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, underutilized, but. And who knows what's on the cutting room floor from those characters. But For sure. This should have been, an, I mean, in a, in a way, if you wanted to get all those heartfelt moments, this movie should have been two movies. Yeah. Kind there, of do there a, was, a Hunger Games, there was you know, so, split. Well, there was so much. <clears throat> there is so much action in the, you know, I mean, it's it is feel somewhat like, this is like an Indiana Jones like where it was Very like, much. oh, we got to go get the skull. Wait, oh, the skull. Well, the skull, actually, this leads to the. To the, yeah. the temple. Let's National go to the temple. Tr- National oh, treasure, really temple. you know. Yeah. They're leading all over the place. And it could have maybe put it into more. It was JJ likes this full throttle thing um, yeah. with a lot of it. Doesn't let it breathe. Um, I rewatched Last Jedi recently. Okay. So I'm like, ooh, it's nice when things are just like relaxed. Yeah. Like, oh, let's just and sit in here a while. <laughs> like, ooh. To his credit. The tub those, is nice. Those full throttle action moments, like visually – this movie is stunning. Yeah. Like it it really looks incredible. It was I guess okay, so how about we just focus on Ray and Kylo since they were kind of our main protagonist antagonist yes. in this trilogy. Yeah. Tell me how you felt about Ray's arc without going into obviously any details yeah. of this movie, but how do you feel they resolved her arc and same with with Kylo? They did way better than I expected going okay. into this. Wow. I was I was like, because I wasn't sure what would make me happy with it, of, yeah. of, of all the possibilities. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even in this, as I realized, as we found out, I was like, I was like, well, I don't know about this. And but by the end of the movie, I was like, I'm cool, actually, fine. Okay, okay. Well, first off, let me say any. Because people will gripe about retcons yep. in this, right? Oh boy. Yep. However, I think. A lot of the stuff rewatching Last Jedi, mm-hmm. not retconned. They completely filled it. Like, they layered I'm like, it. Okay. I was like, oh no, 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 that's right. And also, you cannot be a fan of Star Wars and be mad at retcons <laughs> no. because Ooh. Empire retconned the hell out of Star- yeah. New Hope and Return of the Jedi retconned stuff from Empire yep. and so, the prequels. We can't even. Do- it just ruins <laughs> it. Just- it. But but it, like they retconned so much. Yeah. Like they invented it. So. If they did retcon it, they can like well walk back a little because people were angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like things were that bad. You can never take the whole anything. Nothing is worse than Obi Wan. Like, well, from a point of view, he killed your father. Like that was yeah. that's so not what you meant, and no. that was not his sister. Are you kidding me? We did not. You did not know mm-hmm. this. That was not. They that, completely yeah. altered so much from those movies that. Um, 
I don't buy. Like, so I'm okay. Like, and well, Luke and Leia is what he's referring to for those yeah. know, following at home. Yeah. So I didn't have a big problem with the retcon, the the ones that they did. Mm-hmm. Some of them I was like, no, 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 no. This was yeah. discussed. Yeah. Like, la- okay. Um, <laughs> laser swords. Uh, Which, again, with that, I remember because that caused a big kerfuffle when Luke was like, oh, you think it's all about laser swords? People were like, yeah, they were. Ex- except that that's what Anakin called them in Phantom Menace. Right. And I'm like, once I saw that again, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. This mo- I think in some ways the movies were smarter than the fans. Like it was smarter <laughs> I mean, than the fans. It knew the movies better than yeah. the fans and was calling. Um, but I, okay. Uh, but, but Ray, I was, I mm-hmm. was, I did end up satisfied okay. with what they did with her. Um, I like, I really liked her journey and how they, how how they how it resolved um if you told me kylo's mm-hmm. at before i walked in mm-hmm. i would have said no i do not buy it <laughs> okay i will not go with that it's unacceptable um and i i i also they turned me on that i mm. i couldn't i was actually rather shocked that I was okay um, w- w- with his arc through this this film. Um, they they pulled a couple tricks there that I didn't expect that yeah. got me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm all uh, from watching wrestling. I'm always watching in movies and mm-hmm. stuff about heel and face turns. Yeah, like yeah. How people mm-hmm. turn and what are you going to do to justify it properly? You know, mm-hmm. there's only been a few in. Uh, a few in in cinema things like this that mm-hmm. have done it done those well, and so I I think they did I think they did a really good job, and actually I really do think people. However, if you didn't like Last Jedi, if you hated everything about it, Ooh. I don't think you'll like I don't think you'll like their arcs. Yeah, because they actually it ties in completely to it does the the Empire it's way more than I th- even would have thought. And here's the thing that that I think that people like you and I who love these types of things. What we have to do is this cognitive disconnect of recognizing the things that we want them to do. Yes. What a lot of fans do not do is the thing you want the movie to do. They get excited about that thing and they start thinking, again, mandala effect, oh, this is going to be in there as if they read it somewhere. I was like, no, that was what you wanted them to do. So when they see the movie and it does not happen, they get frustrated. But I was like, that was your own thing. That was your own theory. And so with this one... That there were some things that I wanted it to do, that I thought it was going to do. It went a couple different directions for some of them, and I had to just realize that that was on me, that 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 was my own preconceptions and what I wanted the movie to be. But it's still, as far as just with those two arcs, the Ran Kylo, Ray, I, I, I felt satisfied. With with how everything ended up, the journey to get there, I w- I was a little bit fidgety and I was a little bit worried, but I did like where they got. My bigger I problem guess. with their journey is actually from how it went in Last Jedi. There was a interesting. Well, I mean, this isn't a spoiler, I guess, but just because of 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 what happened in Force Awakens with them. Mm-hmm. Just to get to where they ended in Last Jedi, or that right. that uh, 
that shirtless scene and, connection. And, and, we yes, will say. Connect, yeah, literally yeah. force connection between them. I was still like, oh, you can't talk to him and listen to him after what he did to Han. Like, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, and so once we're already in this movie, I'm like, well, Han's already pretty much forgotten, right? At this point, <laughs> yeah. So I was okay. Um, so I, I, I was less bothered with it as I'm watching Last Jedi. I'm still like. No, you gotta fight him more. And then mm-hmm. I was like, she didn't actually fight more than I remembered with him. Yeah. There was the turmoil, um, but it all it all goes back to it's the same. It's it's Luke's journey in Empire. Yeah, Empire Return. She does the same. It repeats itself. Which to what you said before, like they're mm-hmm. using the same tropes again. But, yeah. Um, but they did that in the prequels too, and they did that. It's just kind of what it's what they do. It is. Luke lets the guy go off with the Sun Crusher in that in the Jedi Academy trilogy books that don't True. that should have been a movie. So um, how we have not gotten Admiral Thrawn? He's there. In not no we, not in the film exactly in but nine films like he's in Rebels. I know, but it was but, like yeah, come on! Like there are so many characters, which is why I think that frustrated me even more when you introduce Rose and General Hux. As opposed to drawing from established characters that people would recognize, you give us new characters, which is like, cool. I bet these characters are going to have a lot to do. And then nothing. Or at least not, to me, enough. Yeah. That that was kind of the, the frustrating aspect. Um, like I said, this movie did give me the feels a couple times. But it, I almost felt cheated in, in a way. Because of the MacGuffins and because of this planet hopping, non-sacrifice, or not even non-sacrifice, unnecessary sacrifices. And one, uh, again, I, man, it is tough to <laughs> to talk about this without it. Um, th- there, is, there is a major sacrifice in this film that to me just absolutely does not make sense. And we can talk about it off, off yeah. air, but it just it was it was just frustrating more than anything. And I kind of get it, but the time does not make sense. The planet hopping does not make sense. The sacrifices do not make sense. The editing is a nightmare. Like this, this I wanted to feel happy uh, and satisfied with the end of this Skywalker saga because my dad he was like, "So this is the last Star Wars movie, right?" And I was like. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the last of this set, but we are going to, it just, who knows? Um, and where they go from here with the way this, this ends, if it continues after this, which as far as I know, they are not really planning to, they could go some interesting places and they could do some interesting things, but I'm so tired of introducing antagonists that mean nothing. How many movies have we heard mention of the Knights of Ren? And then we get them in this one. Why? The Knights of Ren are another group that was completely pointless. They do nothing. Mm. Mm. They okay. They, they they okay. They do a couple things, but those couple things could be could have been done by anyone. I mean that. That is part of why this could have been another 
film. Yeah. They really could have explored that. Yeah. Well, and they did a whole like full on relationship. Yeah. And they did a whole comic book series about the Knights of Ren. Did they? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I, I will send it to you. Um, I get more interested once the trilogies are done of stuff that happens within it mm-hmm. because otherwise I feel it always takes away from like, well, there's a movie coming out that they could ignore all of this and I don't want to, yeah. you know. So, okay. Yeah. Well, um, definitely. Combat. So we have not really talked about that. The visuals look great when it comes to the air combat. Those have always looked really cool and interesting. The lightsaber combat. So first, Ray does something in this movie that I have wanted a Jedi to do in a movie since a video game in like 1996. And it's not a big spoiler. It is part of her training yeah. thing. She activates her lightsaber, throws it in an arcing pattern, and then grabs it again. You could do that in video games 20 years ago, and yeah. nobody in the movie has thought to do that. If you have force, activate, force oh. abilities to push and pull, throw your lightsaber. Bring it back to you. Yeah. While it is activated. Okay. So I like, hadn't, uh, that was pretty cool. Realized it hadn't been done. Yeah. Um, there was a method that the two the two people use in this. Well, like, the only two people with lightsabers use in this. There's a defensive. You took stage combat, right? Yeah. There's a defensive move that they use in this film that has never been done. That is the simplest move that you would ever think about if you were studying to be a Jedi. And I actually, I will talk about it because it is not a huge spoiler because it is something really simple and does not affect anything. They use the force to block the blade. Yeah. So before a blade hits somebody and they use the force and it stops like six inches away, Uh you have an automatic shield on your offhand from your lightsaber. Anybody who has studied stage combat or shield and saber combat, you use your other hand. It is not just there for nothing. And so both of them use that, and that was amazing. I loved seeing that because it was like, we have never seen that style before. It was clever. It was practical. Yeah. As much as I wanted to see somebody throw a lightsaber around and hit somebody, sure. But using it like close hand-to-hand style combat, and they do a swing that you know you cannot block with your saber, but you block it with your force hand. Yeah. Genius. Loved that. Like, that was one of the moments that just like, it that hit me. That yeah. was great. I think they're really creative with the lights. The for the force was the most creative. It's it's bad. Yeah, the the force connection and communication work. There were a couple of times that I was like, wait, how does the force actually work physically when you are well, <laughs> communicating with somebody know, at a distance and you grab something physical off of them and now you have it? And that goes back to <laughs> Last Jedi. Yes, it happened in Last Jedi. But it was so again. We Sorry, so, the <laughs> the thing is, I mean, that's the thing that they don't talk about the force. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, the movies are always part of this. They're part of it, mm-hmm. but there's so much more, and yeah. there's so, the, the world's vast. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry you don't know that that's a force skill, but it is. It's mm-hmm. been in books. They, yeah. They've already for they, sure. We know this. It's that's where they, the you know. So there's some of these skills that came out that we haven't seen yet, or people haven't seen. But every force person has a skill. For sure. Sometimes more than any other one. Some people can't do some tricks. Yeah. Um, I mean, in one of the books, I forget which one, there was a um, an Imperial cruiser that was like coming towards a Jedi temple. Luke from the ground of the planet stops the cruiser from coming, from breaking the planet's atmosphere and then force pushes it away. So like yeah. in the books, 
you know, they really expand well, stuff like in crazy. The, in the books, it was interesting also because some powers are dark powers, right? That yeah. They, you have to utilize the dark side. Lightning, things yeah. like that. Um, also, Luke taught in, in one of the books, Luke basically, while someone's flying, mm-hmm. blinds them. Or does like messes with their heads so they don't understand what's left and right, mm. and they crash and they went. And after it, Han asks, "Oh, would you? So what happened?" And he tells them, and he's like, and Luke says, "I can't ever do that again," mm. because he realized it was a dark power. When he yep. did it, he realized what I did there was wrong. I manipulated a person's mind, and I won't ever do that again. Nice. It is like blood bending in Avatar: The Last yeah. Airbender. Yeah. Uh, did you watch Avatar the last time? No, no. Oh no, my I was just going to pretend I did for the podcast. Oh, so good. Uh, so basically, waterbenders. Uh, actually, let me put it into a context you will understand. Okay. Magneto. Yeah. So there were certain comics where Magneto, who is a master of magnetism, basically figured out he could manipulate the iron in somebody's blood and brainwash them. Okay. And get them to think something else because he was manipulating the tiny particle. Okay. Yeah. Again, it was it was crazy comic book logic, but... You know, again, you have these types of things where that is similar to an avatar when a waterbender realizes blood is liquid. So they could use this power to draw the life force from around them. And like they twist the person's body. And it is in the original Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon, like the dark, uh, not the darkest, one of the darkest moments was when Katara is facing this woman and like she starts bloodbending and you see like her body start twitching and you're like, Ugh! like it is really bad, but it is such a dark power that even though Katara learns how to do it, she was like, uh, nope. Yeah. And so in, in this, we get a moment like that, that I really enjoyed uh, when it comes to a certain yeah. ability and the reasons that we got that yeah. ability. So that was, again, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what I was kind of left with this movie. Is I was like, that was interesting. But to me, it was not the same. Or what I was looking for. Which, again, is on me. Not on the yeah. movie. But overall, now that this saga is done. Nine movies. 42 years. How do you feel? I will say, I do feel... I, feel, I do feel satisfied. Okay. I I did I did feel like to a degree I think they did accomplish something that I didn't think I would feel. I thought I would feel empty at the end. Yeah. But they (laughs) maybe you do. But not empty, but just not fulfilled. (laughs) I'm there is there is so many little things that they did just to I'm like and even there's even one thing that I think you may have uh, mentioned that you complained about, but that even was like Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad they did it. I'm glad okay. they did it. It doesn't even quite make sense, but I'm glad they did it. Uh, I think I think we've talked <laughs> about. But then, uh, and so I was like, okay, I, I'm I'm satisfied, and I feel like it doesn't stunt me from imagining adventures of characters going on in the future. That's okay. one thing I hate. I hate finality series finales where they tie up every. Every final end to where like yeah. well and they're they're gonna go live happily ever after and, and right off into the sunset yeah. um or oh they finally got the bar like I I want to be able to imagine characters going off and still living in this world 
if they do these other series and they do take place at the same time or later, I love the idea that some of these characters might pop in. Like it's not, you know, yeah. Uh, I don't want to say who lives in this, you know, right? But like a character that did live at the end that is not uh, is not on a bloodline mm-hmm. of a Skywalker, as they said, at the end of the Skywalker series can still show up in something else. Yeah. Like hey, you know, here's that. Here's that Rose that could show up, and now we got a whole movie about Rose. Yeah, probably won't happen. No. But um, um, one thing I, I will say that this this show had kind of been, uh, how shall I say, not very good at representation when it came to not necessarily gender, but relationships, like other other types of relationships. We do get a same gender kiss mm-hmm. in this movie once yeah towards the end but i was like hey at least you did that granted star trek did that 20 years ago but you know uh yeah star trek ds9 when jed zia dax oh, oh yeah okay yeah on a tv show yeah. when Curzon dax said yeah anyway yeah. so uh but it was just it was nice to see because again star star wars has always had this weird type of thing where it's like cool there are a lot of the uh, other creatures in your world, there are some people of color. There are some women in high position of authority. Mon Mothra from the beginning when it was like, oh, here's a woman in control of yeah. the army, essentially. Like, that was pretty cool. But, yeah, so to see, like, one moment, because I was waiting in that kind of final moment yeah. when everything is happening, I'm okay. like, give us one. Give us one. And they did. Oh, and I was like, oh, oh, look at that. It was not <laughs> – I mean, this, this, is, this is spoiling a fandom ship. But it was not the same gender folks that people wanted it to be. I would yeah. just throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Which that wasn't gonna happen. I I really wanted it to. That, that would have been amazing. Gonna happen. Um yeah. or for three of them yeah. to kiss. That would have been even more amazing. Uh but yeah, so you can still write your fan fiction. <laughs> oh, and they will. Yeah. <laughs> and they will. Uh so with me with this, with the end of the saga, forty two year journey, I will go back and watch the originals. Time and time again, I will watch The Last Jedi, <clears throat> The Force Awakens, and, and maybe this one as well. Just kind of get that. The prequels, yeah, the prequels are the prequels. Um, but yeah, it. I'm glad that this is over. I'm glad that this Skywalker saga, because there is so much more material oh, to draw yeah. from. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Obi-Wan series that. that we are getting, which I'm super excited for. The Mandalorian is doing really well. The Mandalorian is proven. If anything, if nothing else, it's proving proving you can do stories not involving the family. Absolutely. Like, and that's what we needed was something to show that you have to, you don't have to have them. Yeah. Even though there are a lot of uneducated people who do not know that he is not actually a Mandalorian, neither is Boba Fett. And you and I <laughs> have talked about this when you posted that also, and you were like, uh, nobody wants to have that conversation. But he is not a Mandalorian. <laughs> Boba's not. Boba is not, yeah. This guy ne- is. Neither was Django. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway. So, yeah. So, there are a lot more stories to tell in this world. But I personally am glad that the Skywalker saga is over. If there are mentions of Skywalkers, mentions of things that happen in this movie in other Star Wars things, sure. Wrap it up. You have yeah. 42 years. Tied it with these no, neat little bow. I'm totally fine with moving on. That's yeah. why, look, I, I don't even, 
I don't even like presidents to be related to other presidents, right? <laughs> okay. I don't. Okay. I yep. don't. I don't care what party it is. <laughs> I don't want them related. I like to move on mm-hmm. and start a new chapter. Yeah. Like I want that, and I want I want that with my. Uh, I want that with my Star Wars series. Yeah. Unrelated people. Uh, there were some really cool callbacks just in voice uh, that that I liked. Was that the, one of the moments you cried? No, I didn't. Oh. Um, no. <laughs> okay. I didn't like it, though. So that was nice. So, uh, okay. So, seeing as how Silas had not seen the other two movies I talked about, because uh, unfortunately he was not able to attend the press screenings with me for for those, but he was for Star Wars because I made sure of that. Uh, your official rating, good, bad, or ugly, of Star Wars: The Rise oh, of Skywalker. Good. Okay. Good. That's all yeah. good. Yeah. Um. Ah, <laughs> uh, caveat. Before I give my official rating. Yeah. Star Wars means. A lot to me. Mm-hmm. It it has defined parts of my life. The music. I mean, there there are several scenes in this where they have this discordant melody from the original series music, the John Williams music, and that will always hit me. They tweaked a little bit, so it's not exactly the same. Those moments will always make me happy. So for those moments, I. I I can't. Uh, the The music mattered. The story was rough. I cannot give it a good. Gonna go with bad. Uh, I will not give it an ugly. But this movie has a lot of problems. It is, like I said, a film editing nightmare. The time hopping, planet hopping thing does not make sense. The wrap up that we get towards the end that also planet hops. I was like, okay. You said ugly means skip the movie. Yeah. Like nobody is even, that is the thing. Even nobody bo- is going to <laughs> even bordering this is not a bordering. I never said skip. it was I never said it was bordering ugly. It is it is it is a bad. Uh but it just yeah, nobody is going to skip this movie. Like actually no, I know a couple of people who are like, nah, I'm never gonna see it. Which is fine, whatever. I, I think you need to rewatch it a couple of times. Uh, see how you rewatch. And I probably will, but as of right now, as of recording, it is it is a bad for me. I just I cannot get past the lazy editing, the lazy storytelling, the rehashing of elements from movies past that serve no purpose. I cannot get past, and I will not excuse them for characters that get introduced that mean nothing. That to the point where they could just be eliminated from the story and nothing would change. That just kind of bothers me when those moments and those characters could have been used for representation you're in key cheating, areas. Though. Then you're cheating. How so? Because you're using their appearance in other films, not this film alone. If you're just judging on this film alone. Oh, then this film alone, they're still completely wasted. So is the woman related to Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher's daughter. Daisy Ridley. In this. Yeah. She's just a, a, a supernumerary. There's plenty of supernumeraries. Yeah. It's okay. They have to be there. I mean, yes, you do need some of those. It was just, it was when this universe needs more representation and you had that and did not really do much with it. That was just kind of weird. But regardless, Mm -hmm. uh, the movie is in theaters soon. I'm probably going to actually cut this tonight. So the movie will be in theaters soon. 
uh, when you were listening to this. So well, technically, it actually, the fan opening events were tonight. On a Wednesday, I thought it was Thursday. Yeah. Oh, Thursday is the sh- the midnight, the big pr- premiere. There's oh, win- Wednesday at midnight was when. Well, Wednesday at eight, they're doing these special opening night. What? Like, mer- like yeah, they're like twenty five dollars. Oh, those ones, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, crazy. So, ev- fans are seeing tonight. Gotcha. Not, not, not me, but I'm gonna spend twenty five dollars for a regular movie. No, ridiculous. Cool. All right, so a quick recap of the episode. So cats. I gave a bad two because it was just a train wreck. Um, or did I give an did I give it ugly to cats? You give it ugly. Yeah, you give it. Oh ugly. no, I gave it a bad because Jennifer Hudson saves it from being ugly. Oh, yeah, because okay. she, pff, yeah, she is just incredible. Uncut Gems, so so good. It might be one of my top ten films of the year. I'm still putting my list together. I still have uh, a few days. As of recording to put my list together for the top 10 of the year, it was phenomenal. Like, Adam Sandler absolutely crushes it. Uh, it is a must-watch movie for the people who do not mind those uncomfortable moments because that is the entire movie. I'm going to go see it because of this review. Fantastic. Uh, and then Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Silas gave a good two. I gave a bad two. Uh, but again, I know that people are going to go see this movie. So once you see this movie, hit me up on social media at About Review, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send me an email, aboutreview at gmail.com, and we can have a dialogue about it. Let me know what you thought about it, because again, I know everybody's going to see this movie. I know everyone is going to have opinions of it. I'm interested to see those discussions once more people have seen it and not just critics and, you know, a few hundred other folks. So there we go. Uh, so Silas, again, where is your, what is your website? Where can people find you and all of your happenings around town? Um, you can find me on Facebook and prominently on there. Uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter, both at, at Silas laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, my, go to my website, uh, <laughs> should go to silasgetsreal.com. That's the most, uh, happening one, but black and a half dot com. That's my podcast. That's what I love. And everything kind of goes out from there. You can always okay. hear about what I'm doing if you listen to that podcast, blackandahalf.com. Yeah. And if you're looking to buy or sell a home, hit oh, up yeah. Silas. Hit up Silas. SilasGetsReal.com. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, Talk about Star Wars the whole time. Yeah. And when you do buy a house, you can take a picture with the magic card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is one of your awesome gimmicks. Yeah. It's a, it's a nerdy experience with, the, with Silas. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so thank you, uh, Silas, for, for being here. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is at About to Review on all social media, About to Review at gmail.com and About to Review.com for all the links to the show notes and guests. If you want to support the show, there are links in the show notes to the direct PayPal account, um, as well as an Amazon wish list. Thank you again to the listeners and supporters who recently uh, sent me things from the Amazon wish list and through PayPal. Um, I did not ask their, I yeah, I've not confirmed with them if they wanted to be named on air, so I will not do that yet. Put them on blast, but I will reach out to them and see if that is an on air check that they that they want. So thank you again for all of your support. Thank you for listening. I have been your host, that guy named John, and I have been joined by Silas Lindenstein. And I will see you next time. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.